Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada. And now, a message from our sponsor. Wilfrid Laurier University offers respected and affordable policing, criminology and policing, and public safety programs that are fully online and designed to advance your career. Choose from a Bachelor of Arts in Policing, Bachelor of Arts in Criminology and Policing, Master of Public Safety, and five graduate diplomas in the areas of Emergency Management, National Security, Countering Crime, Border Strategies, and GIS and Data Analytics. Transfer credits apply for basic constable training towards the BA in policing. For more information, visit www.laurierpublicsafety.ca. Hello, Blue Line the Podcast subscribers. We hope you're doing well. Welcome to another episode of Blue Line the Podcast. I'm Renee Francaire, the editor of Blue Line Magazine. Thanks for coming along for the ride. So today we have some very special guests on the line. Assistant Commissioner Serge Cote, the Executive Director of the Canadian Police College, and Superintendent Doug Ross, Director of the School of Police Sciences with CPC. With campuses in both Ottawa, Ontario and Jilliwack, British Columbia, the CPC has been providing advanced and specialized training for 40 plus years in areas such as polygraph, investigative techniques training, technical crime, explosives, forensics identification, indigenous policing, as well as leadership and management training to law and regulatory enforcement personnel from across Canada and abroad. Superintendent Doug Ross is responsible for the organization and oversight of all programs, projects, services, courses, and activities related to the Police Science School. This school consists of the Academic Standards and Learning Development Unit, the National Polygraph School, Investigative Training Unit, Forensics Identification Training Unit, the Explosives Training Unit, and Technological Crime Learning Institute. Assistant Commissioner Serge Cote assumed command of the CPC in 2018 and is a member of the Order of Merit for Police Forces. He is part of many high-level committees such as CACP, which we all know the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police, Francopol, and sits on the board of directors for CPKN, Canadian Police Knowledge Network. Serge, Doug, thank you so much for your time and safely joining us from afar today. Well, it's a pleasure for us to, to be here, Renee, and thank you for certainly providing the opportunity for us to address certainly uh, people we have at heart, which is the law enforcement community. Fantastic. So before we get started, I want to ask both of you, you know, how are you doing? How has life changed for you since uh, the COVID-19 pandemic hit? And, uh, you know, Doug, let's start with you. Well, I think it's, um, I think I mentioned to you earlier, this is only my third time in my office since March. So I wasn't sure exactly uh, after my computer finished all its uh, updates and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's certainly a different environment. Uh, most of our staff are, are have been working from home since mid March. We do have some folks on the campus that are getting ready for course deliveries. But uh, yeah, it's it's been a certainly a, a a different working environment and an interesting transition, I would say. For sure, can't uh, agree more with that. We're all feeling it. What about you, Serge? How's it been since uh, the pandemic hit? Yeah, no, definitely. I would echo uh, Doug's uh, comments, but I would uh, sort of speak. To, I think it's been um, so. First of all, like nobody would have predicted uh, that event, and I think it's created a bit of an opportunity for uh, reflection, right? A reflection 
sort of professionally and personally in terms of, uh, you know, professionally in terms of the law enforcement, I think how privileged we are and, you know, the opportunities we've had to, uh, you know, provide services or the extra help in terms of the less, uh, you know, privileged. Like we've heard stories in the North where some of our officers, you know, would deliver groceries or comfort, you know, an elderly person that needs a little bit of uh, you know, assistant or, or an ear to, to speak to. But I think um, sort of more of a personal or family-oriented uh, position, I think it's, it's, uh, it has been an opportunity for reflection and uh, because we can't go anywhere to be closer, you know, within, with, with our family members and have those good discussions certainly in the backyard because it's been, uh, seems to have been a prevalent uh, location to, uh, you know, to gather for the majority of uh, Canadians for sure. You bet. And I love that you pointed out that reflection part, because uh, I think it's an important component that we've all been trying to to incorporate that slow down and really doing things um, and looking at why and, and how we're doing things. So we got to find those silver linings. You are you're so right about that. Well, a lot of things have been going on at CPC over the past few years uh, in terms of modernization efforts and, of course, the professionalization of policing. So what does this overall way forward for the CPC look like? Uh, you know, how would you describe that new reality uh, at CPC and, and what can future clients expect? I'll throw it back to you, Doug. Oh, OK, so. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, there's been uh, over the last couple of years, we've been focusing on trying to build some sustainable programs at the college. Uh, you know, the college is cha has been challenged, and I think the police community knows that, around trying to meet the needs around specialized training and advanced training for the police community. It's something that's constantly growing, constantly developing. Uh, we have uh, police agencies coming to us all the time asking, you know, can we take on this training? Can we take on that? The challenge is obviously is that, uh, you know, you need, a, you need a way to make sure that that's, uh, you know, you can afford to develop those programs and then sustain those programs. So, so I think in the last, uh, you know, particularly the last uh, year and a half, two years, we've really focused on working with our clients and our partners to try to come up with strategies where we can meet their training needs. Um, and we haven't certainly done it in every case, but we've done it in, the, you know, we've prioritized the demands for the police community, and we've uh, we've worked towards trying to meet those demands. Certainly, we have a strategy in place where we're going to be able to hopefully meet the majority of those demands. Demands, uh, you know, in certain areas, uh, um, it's more challenging than others. I would say areas like cybercrime, where the training evolves so rapidly, uh, it's it's going to continue to be a challenge. There's no doubt about that. But uh, we've got a strategy in place, and I mean it's not just about the college obviously it's about relying upon our communities of practice and on our, our partners uh, you know the college is a place and it always has been where um, we we organize training we bring experts together uh, you know we have our own subject matter experts here but I mean with a small staff that we have it's just not practical that we could meet all the training on our own so so I mean that's uh, that's probably the you know, the focus has, has been around trying to formalize maybe some processes that in the past were done informally. Um, I would say, for example, things like developing a more sort of robust prioritization process where we can work with the community to prioritize what their greatest needs are. Um, developing um, increased rigor, I guess, around our training so that we're sure that our training withstands all of the requirements in an actual policing environment. So, 
you know, and, and by that, I mean, the college, when we participate in, in developing training with our community, we're there to stand behind the community with that training gets challenged. So, so, so those things, as well as uh, formalizing, I guess, our, our network of instructors. So that's something that we're in the process of, of trying to do now or trying to roll that out. Uh, I would suggest that maybe COVID didn't necessarily uh, uh, help that process along in some regards, but uh, it's about trying to uh, formalize this network that we have of instructors and I guess make it a little bit more, uh, I guess, professionalized from the, pers from the perspective of uh, recognizing the contributions that services uh, contribute to the college you know not all police services are in the same position to be able to provide subject matter expertise to the college from either a capacity or or a competency perspective so it's about trying to work with the, the services that are in the position to do that and try to recognize both the service and the individuals who contribute to to, uh, to, to those areas of specialization so we've sort of developed some programs such as an adjunct faculty program that we're rolling out that will formalize some of the recognition for um, our subject matter experts that come into the college regularly because we have folks who come in on a regular basis to, to, that have very specialized knowledge that uh, that we wouldn't be necessarily practical or efficient to have those folks work full-time at the college sort of thing so an example would be around our incident command program we depend on current serving police officers who are dealing with incidents every day uh, out in the environment to so make sure our current our training is as current as possible so so as well recognizing those folks, as well qualifying them, saying that, okay, here's the standards that they need to meet, that, you know, these individuals meet these standards, um, and then, you know, basically signing some agreements to say, like, here's the sort of expectations, both from the police service that's providing them, as well as from the, from the college here, and this is what we'll provide in return sort of thing. So uh, those are a few things I'm sure Serge can touch on a whole bunch. I mean, he's been really... Uh, focusing on sort of this modernization strategy around the college over the last couple of years since he's been here. So no, if I if I may add, uh, Rene, I think uh, Doug uh, certainly covered it uh, very well. But uh, you know the, those modernization efforts from a uh, from a uh, business model perspective, you know, need to revolve around uh, service relevancy and sustainability. And and you know, although this has been communicated through the uh, to the law enforcement community through CCP and other uh, associations of uh, uh, provincial chiefs of police, you know, we are moving towards a full cost recovery model. And the notion there is, if we want to ensure that a value proposition, if we want to ensure that we can support uh, the evolving needs of the community, we need to operate in a sustainable uh, manner. And, and through consultation prior to this three-year plan we're implementing uh, right now that started in, in 2019, uh, the community did recognize that the college could no longer be asked to subsidize training. You know, some of our courses are high risk, uh, you know, high risk of potential um, court uh, cases where, you know, uh, we're, we're, you know, we don't want to create new case law, uh, high risk in terms of when you're dealing with explosives, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we need to have the proper, certainly, uh, business model in place, again, to uh, properly support uh, the community in an area that is specialized uh, in advance. So there's full support. And again, the, around the sustainability pieces, we're going to be moving uh, towards a full cost recovery uh, through tuition fees. Uh, but at the same time, as Doug pointed out, we're also recognizing the police services who are contributing to the college through, you know, via their SMEs, who can speak of, uh, you know, currency of operations. 
uh, we can add to the value proposition of a, you know, the college as a national institution. And, you know, that is through the adjunct faculty program where their contribution will be recognized via uh, reduction in tuition fees for those police uh, services. So that was actually very well received. It's been very well received by the community and we've sort of been commended by, you know, for our efforts in recognizing the contribution of police services into, into the college. So we're, we're very uh, sort of proud of the adjunct faculty and we're, we're moving that forward towards uh, full implementation. That's fantastic. I, I love that uh, there's this focus on those partnerships going forward, right? For a long time, I think uh, we've done a, a great job in reducing those silos, but things like that just continue to um, encourage uh, all this working together. So that's fantastic to hear. Uh, Doug, tell me a little bit more about those articulation agreements. So we have agreements, and these are formal documents with a number of different colleges and universities, both in Canada and abroad, uh, that give uh, academic credits for courses that are completed at the Canadian Police College. So, and we're and we're trying to work on developing some additional ones. You know, these are really important documents in relation to, or important arrangements in relation to providing academic pathways for, uh, you know, folks who are in policing who want to pursue higher education who maybe don't have, uh, you know, a strong educational background or they haven't completed a university or college degree and they want to, they want to do that. It's, I mean, certainly challenging. Having been someone who finished degrees and certificates while working as a police officer, it's not always the most conducive environment to uh, trying to do those sorts of things. So, so this is about trying to recognize uh, the learning that takes place here at the college and apply to different programs. Um, so we have them with a number of different universities. We're trying to work to develop some in some different areas. I'm focusing on some for, say, for example, for the technological crime uh, learning institute. We have a partnership with University College of Dublin. They have their examination testing site that they're going to host here at the CPC. That was supposed to happen in May, but it's been you know postponed because of uh, the COVID situation. But uh, we're also working with them and other universities and colleges to try to find uh, you know programs that are well aligned with some of the things that we teach so that students can can get credit. I mean, you know, at the far extreme, we have uh, uh, some universities that offer as much as half of a master's degree for completion of the executive development policing program. So um, we're also trying to develop uh, some affiliation agreements where, say, for example, someone could potentially take a course here at the college that they could get credit towards the university program or vice versa. So that you could take a course at a university, get credit, meet the prerequisite here at the college for one of our programs sort of thing, which is something new that we're just starting to work on. So again, during COVID, that was a bit of an opportunity to work on some of those sort of things. I mean, these things are, are relatively, I would suggest that maybe the government is bureaucratic, but I would say if you're dealing with the university board of governors, I'd say it's it's probably just as bureaucratic. So, so these are processes that take a huge amount of uh, capacity to develop sort of thing. So, um, but we've made great strides in doing that sort of thing. Uh, Serge, this one might be more for you, but uh, I'm curious, how have the ways the CPC strives to develop police leadership and management competencies um, specifically, how has that evolved since uh, your arrival? Yeah, so thanks for that question. Uh, and I think it's uh, certainly very topical in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the way maybe police work has been you know, scrutinized uh, lately by the, you know, various uh, varying uh, uh, communities. So under the college, uh, you know, we have the uh, uh, learning uh, development, uh, not the learning, I'm sorry, the leadership um, development uh, center, uh, which is basically specializes in executive leadership uh, competency uh, development. 
as well as uh, ind indigenous policing as, as well. So uh, certainly what we've undertaken there is a full evaluation of that program, which has uh, consisted of uh, interviewing, you know, police chiefs, uh, looking at a full level three assessment involving uh, literature review, leveraging, you know, other surveys such as the uh, CPKN uh, survey on the availability of leadership and the type of leadership training across the country. So from that analysis, um, you know, the result of that analysis has directed the way we're going to modernize certain of our uh, courses uh, offered by, uh, uh, by the Leadership Development Center. So um, things such as the introduction, the introduction of, uh, you know, psychometric assessments, whether we're talking about uh, EQI or Insight and 360 tools, new tools into, uh, you know, some of the courses uh, we have. Very important, the introduction of uh, character-based uh, leadership into the um, executive uh, development program, as well as as the uh, as the SPAC. What we've also done within the uh, EDP is to review what we call the strategic uh, change uh, project. And I'll give you an example. For ex you know, uh, somebody right now is attending the current cohort is putting together a strategic change around uh, re retroactive justice uh, in Alberta. Uh, so that project is normally several pages long, uh, several months long, not that it doesn't have value, but we want to look at, uh, you know, the sort of the currency of how our senior police officers uh, work within their community in terms of you know, the work and life balance and the relevancy with the same outcomes. The outcomes need to remain the same, but, you know, how long should that project be and maybe at the front end, how deep should, should it be from, a, from an analysis perspective? Because it doesn't reflect what a senior police executive is doing right now in his or her environment. So those are sort of the changes that we are looking in terms of our leadership development. Um, we're also looking because we heard heard it loud and clear when we interviewed police chiefs. They'd like to have leadership training uh, delivered in their uh, own communities. Uh, so we're looking at expanding the uh, the SPAG, the Senior Police Administration course, to the region. So we've already, I mean, that has been sort of uh, not sort of, but it has been delayed because of COVID. We had sessions already scheduled, but the, but they've been uh, they've been put off. And as importantly, I think from a, a bit of a government's perspective along the, uh, among the leadership communities uh, across the country, we've got the sort of early stage of exploring what I would refer to as a coalition of leadership uh, development uh, training programs, where, you know, the sort of the model at this time is there's between academia, be, between or among CCP and the college and, and other provincial institutions, there's a lot of leadership training in, in, in this country, but police chiefs don't always know where to turn to. So what the coalition would be, would be basically a bit of a certifying advisory body in terms of what has been sort of endorsed in terms of training by the police uh, community. And whether it's academically led, whether it's uh, CCP led, uh, whether it's CPC led, so we're right now uh, having some intro introductory discussions. We've uh, we've talked to 
obviously CCP, you know, we're going to be engaging with CPA soon, the Canadian Police Association. So we want to have a bit of a broad approach really to, if we're going to invest in this type of um, opportunity or model, uh, people need to see themselves in it. So we want to make sure we're doing uh, quite a bit of, uh, you know, engagement at the front end uh, if we want to be successful. So that's, that's sort of a, uh, you know, in a nutshell, what, uh, what's been sort of happening at the college with respect to leadership uh, development training. And our position is not about, you know, we do it best. It's about how can we work in partnership to meet the various needs and sometimes the regional needs of the police community out there. Nicely said. I, I appreciate that. You know, along those lines, I'm curious, what does police leadership look like uh, to both of you, you know, in your in your own words? Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's a pretty dynamic concept and it's probably hard to describe. I mean, I always, always look at it's a combination of an art and a science, right? So I think, you know, some people have an innate art towards some of these things and some people have to work on the science and, and learn the science of it sort of thing. So, but uh, no, I think, I mean, for me, it's, it's about, I guess, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to convince people or, or creating an environment, I guess, where people, you know, uh, want to achieve the objectives, uh, you know, uh, for your organization. I think in the college, we're fortunate in the sense that, you know, I think in many regards, sort of people leadership is is probably easier for us at the college in the sense that, uh, you know, we have a lot of, I mean, people don't come to the college because there's no other option. They come to the college because it's where they want to come. I mean, I think, um, you know, managing, leading the individuals, I, I don't think is probably the most challenging piece of it because, you know, we have, you know, high quality instructional staff, folks who are who are very passionate about what they do. So so I think that piece is uh, is probably less of a challenge. I'd say that, you know, in this environment, it's about uh, trying to lead processes. And I always try to say it's like sometimes and especially lately, it's trying to push push string up a hill sort of thing. Right. So it's um, you know, it's about those things. So I think that's really challenged. Uh, the leadership capabilities of most of my managers, because you know, uh, just the, every every everything is, uh, you know, we as leadership from a leadership perspective, we fall back upon our sort of leadership wisdom. The problem is, is in an environment where everything is new, uh, wisdom doesn't always work the best, sort of thing. I mean, it can guide you, and I think that's what it does. But uh, as we've seen, uh, it you know creates uh, an environment where we see really the value in uh, having people who have um, dynamic leadership ability, sort of thing. No, that was that was excellent. And and yes, Serge, leadership to you. Uh, I'd rather use a very uh, simplistic sort of uh, approach because you know when it's simple, I think people remember um, better. But uh, you know it's an interesting question because uh, you know I, I Google. Um, uh, leadership last night and uh, I within 0.5 second I, I received uh, 514 million uh, results so you know there's certainly no clear uh, leadership uh, definition but I think um, you know where where my definition comes is through uh, you know throughout my career and the exposure I had with mentors and you know where I've been influenced and where I've been guided and so on and to me it's it's uh, you know, the definition of leadership, I think, starts with a vision and the uh, simply the ability to lead, uh, you know, an organization or a group, group of people towards a common goal and whatever that goal is, right? And certainly the goal at the college right now is those modernization efforts, what has been 
reprioritize is you know the reopening of the college which uh you know between doug and i and the rest of the senior managers we need to uh certainly manage um, an environment that's changing that needs to be progressive and i think we've got the you know the people on board because there's a level of energy uh that exists that uh uh, you know, I haven't seen for 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 a little while, right? And uh, people are eager; they want to go back to what they do best, and they realize the opportunity they have in terms of uh, their ability to forge, you know, in, investigators, you know, to become better, right? So they have a huge influence nationally in terms of sharing their skills and how, you know, and the impact of that on people that uh, come, you know, and attend the college. And, and just to go back a bit in terms of leadership, I think the important factor is uh, it, it is leading through your knowledge, through your experience. But, you know, we've been talking about character-based leadership, but through your character as well. Uh, I think we've all seen in the past uh, leaders being success, successful, but at what cost? How many victims have they left behind, right? Uh, so in today's sort of work environment, uh, that's something we need to certainly continue to address. And it's not so much about how do we assess that. Like, is that the way you assess that is not so much about what you delivered or both. How, what what did you deliver and how did you deliver it? Can't argue with that. And I love how you mentioned we're kind of seeing that refueling now happening, where people are eager and and they're they're filled right back up with that vigor to to make some changes. Um, so I, I think it will be interesting to follow through and, and and see what that leads to. There's there's definitely a lot of uh, potential I'm I'm seeing as well as we get back to our our new normal. So speaking of new normals, for those of that those of us um, that might not know or haven't been really keeping ourselves up to date, let's just maybe walk uh, through the major changes at the CPC over the past few months because I, I know it was uh, I believe the first time ever that the CPC has, has shut down. So you know let's let's talk about the kind of impact that that's uh, that's had. Yeah, so I mean I think uh, I go back to March and you know sorts of lots of questions and. You know, we had some courses in house that we basically uh, sent folks home, and uh, you know, those folks will be coming back in August to finish off their courses. So uh, it was interesting. I mean, I'll note that Serge was on the holidays when it happened, sort of thing. So uh, it was, uh, what, you know, I, I'm not sure how anxious he'll be to go away on holidays again because uh, you know he comes back home when we got the college shut down, basically. So it was, a, it was an interesting time, and we were able to transition our employees to working at home fairly quickly. I think that was a positive thing, uh, just from the technology that we have in place with our staff. Uh, that worked out fairly well. Um, we, we were fairly successful around maintaining communication with all of our employees by using, you know, commercially available tools that are out there. I mean, the, the work that we do is not, uh, you know, it's not like we're working in national security. So we're able to have uh, uh, use tools that are sort of available, like, you know, like uh, webinar tools and that sort of thing. So, so I think that worked out well. I think the other thing that it did is it really pushed some people who maybe were resisting really embracing some of the technology to start to use that technology so so that was another positive so we saw people you know going to home going home and but one of the things i think that we experienced was i suspect a lot of other areas because there were so many unknowns i mean the government agencies are generally you know process driven organizations and you know a lot of the processes you know they've taken a long time to develop over time and in one in you know in the period of a week they became obsolete you know it's just simple things like 
you know, how do you sign financial documents when you're working at home sort of thing, right? And, you know, the organization is not necessarily, doesn't respond that rapidly to say like, oh yeah, no, we're fine with the digital signatures and that sort of thing. So, so, so processes that were done in seconds started to become somewhat more complicated. So, so, you know, very time consuming sort of things, but, um, but we were able to maintain communication with our employees uh, and with each other. We had multiple, multiple uh, video conferences. Uh, you know, I, I would find myself literally uh, between, you know, my own employees or management team uh, with uh, Surge, with other police agencies, consulting about what training might look like when we come back together, literally would find yourself uh, on, on you know, Skype or uh, other sort of commercial tools, having video conferences for eight, 10 hours a day sometimes. So, so it was very, it was, you know, the days are long and, and it's, you know, at the end of the day, you, you were sort of, you know, mentally drained. But but I think it provided an opportunity to start working on some things that had been put on the back burner to a certain degree. You know, we're very focused on delivering courses and trying to meet community needs. So the pause provided us with an opportunity to go back and do a refresh on a lot of our material. Uh, we were able to update some of our course content, read from course training standards, read through to, you know, lesson plans and that sort of thing we were able to start focusing on putting content online and uh, for online learning, which has been something that the college has, you know, really wanted to focus on doing, but just from a capacity perspective, very difficult to do. So, you know, we're hoping when we come out of the end of this and we start to deliver training, what, what the community will see is they'll see courses that will be available uh, completely online, other courses, you know, it's hard to teach an explosives uh, uh, course online. So some some courses will be more blended learning. Well, there'll be certain portions that students will have to complete online, and they'll still be the face-to-face -face portion. So so uh, you know a real focus on those sorts of things. Um, you know, you really see the community policing community coming together. You'd see the training community coming together. Uh, a number of different groups were formed um, at various levels within the organizations. Uh, you know, I would note that Ecole uh, Nationale de Police de Quebec EMPQ took a, a lead around establishing some joint uh, communities of practice and, and committees where they would discuss certain challenges. I mean, uh, and, uh, and to some degree, the, the CPC has a bit of an advantage in the sense that some of the training institutions that do basic constable training, you know, the, they were really pushed to recommence their training uh, in as early as June. So, I mean, our date that we're looking at, you know, that we're going to be restarting is going to be the 17th of August. But you know, for these agencies, they had to do that. So we're, to some degree, we were able to continue to communicate with them through these regular forms and uh, look at, you know, what worked really well, what maybe needed to be improved. So, so I think that when we come back on the 17th, we'll be well positioned to address some of that sort of stuff. I mean, I think there's other things that, um, you know, just spend amount, huge amounts of time trying to uh, you know, plan your way through simple things. And what you think is the impediment to success is often not. It's always like some other thing like, oh, yeah, okay, no, that's a, and it could be a small thing. It's like, oh, how are we going to deal with this? How, we, how will we deal with that? I mean, just simple things, uh, you know, as in relation to bringing students back into the training environment. So, but I think we're well positioned to do that now. I mean, I've going to walk around the campus when I'm done here today and just take a look. We did a walk around a couple of weeks ago and we're sort of monitoring, okay, what's ready, what's not. Uh, most things are ready to go. Um, it certainly won't look anything 
like what it looked like before, <laughs> I would suggest. I mean, we can talk about that a bit later, I guess, but we've recognized over the years that there's a need to deliver regional force deliveries. And we have done a certain amount of that, but certainly with the challenges around commercial travel and the ability to try to get instructors to come here, um, our, you know, the limited number of classrooms that we have based on social physical distancing, you know, we've really started to focus on regional deliveries. And when we start, when we recommence training on the 17th, uh, as an example, so in, in uh, BC, we'll have a number of courses that we're going to be delivering in, in BC uh, that are going to be delivered on the sites of different police services. Um, Vancouver Police uh, Service, as an example. So Vancouver Police, we're partnering them to deliver some courses um, at their at their facilities in August and into September, uh, as well as other services as well. So it's uh, it's a bit of a work in progress. and. One would think that, you know, maybe the amount of time that it would take to organize some of these things would maybe not be that significant. But again, it's the same thing. It's about trying to define new processes, uh, how students enter the buildings, how students exit the buildings, washroom usage, classroom cleaning, sanitization, uh, everything down to use of police vehicles. Uh, it, it's uh, it's a everything has become uh, so much more uh, complicated, and most of the processes that we have have to be all completely reinvented. So so it's a new reality of training. I mean, it's no different than what other education institutions across the country are facing. I think that uh, you know a lot of uh, universities and colleges are going to focus primarily uh, in the fall on uh, distance learning or e-learning. Uh, the challenge is, is for some of our courses that's just very it's not necessarily practical like I said courses like forensic guidance specialists where it's a lot of hands-on work um, explosives uh, courses uh, that we have a suite of explosive courses that we do uh, you know can't really be taught online sort of thing so so it's about focusing on the courses that have to be delivered in the classroom environment delivering those in a classroom environment here at the college and across the country. So, uh, you know, lots of, lots of police agencies have stepped up and they're prepared to uh, to partner with us to do that sort of thing. So, so that's been really the focus is about what is that going to look like so that on day one and the 17th of August, that uh, everything will run smoothly. So. Fantastic. Well, thank you for that that thorough uh, answer because you're right. We've we've had to pivot really quickly, um, and you know sometimes it takes longer than originally we thought it would when we're in the middle of the said pivoting. Um, I, I love how you mentioned, you know, that e-learning, that online learning now is is much more um, front of mind, uh, front of center. So maybe, Serge, if you want to touch on from your opinion, you know, we're, we're seeing that movement to online training across industries uh, where applicable, uh, as you mentioned, Doug. So, you know, is there anything you wanted to add in terms of how that's impacted um, the CPC and in, in reevaluating how it delivers training, uh, strategies to adapt to that to that new reality and moving from traditional, you know, in-class training to said virtual platform. Uh, anything you want to add from your perspective? Yeah, no, uh, very briefly, because I think Doug uh, provided a, a good overview. But I would say that, uh, you know, when the CPC was looking at online training and uh, you know, delivering training in the regions that was sort of, you know, based on previous surveys, engagement with our communities of practice and so on. And to me is what's interesting is we have said no to these things, right? Uh, but when there's no other um, alternative, uh, you know, which is what COVID is, uh, it's, it's quite interesting how a group of people can come together, find solutions and, and deliver uh, you know what uh, we've been sort of asked to do but not prepared to do mind you that as Doug said 
the fact that uh, we were closed or we've been uh, closed since March has provided an opportunity to do some thinking, find solutions as well. So I'm very, I'm very proud of the work, uh, you know, in the direction we are taking, not for the college, but the way we're providing service to the community, right? And hopefully they'll recognize, they'll recognize that from themselves. Well said. You can't argue with that. Exactly. Uh, we're all learning as we go here. So uh, we're in it together. All right. Well, if you've caught any of our previous episodes, uh, you know, we end each one with uh, two fun questions to give listeners more, uh, you know, a fun fact or so about our guests. So let's let's start with you, Serge, and then we'll move on to Doug. What is something your colleagues might not know about you? Well, I'll say this, I have to think about uh, maybe that question because, uh, you know, we're talking about leadership and certainly uh, my leadership style is to be involved with, you know, my my own uh, work environment at, at all levels. So the folks at the college and colleagues maybe outside the college know quite a bit about me, but I would offer maybe that some of them may not know that uh, I'm quite the avid uh, mountain biker despite... Uh, my age. This is something I I uh, took up when I was first posted in British Columbia, obviously, and the Okanagan Valley. So no lack of mountains in in those areas or in that area. Uh, my partner as well, uh, mountain bikes. So it's a good uh, it's a good activity we do together. What I've learned though is, uh, you know, I'm no longer in, invincible. And uh, after breaking some ribs a couple of years ago, I had to slow it down uh, a little bit. But we're still enjoying it. Uh, we're not the Red Bull types anymore, but we're still still enjoying that. It's a great way to stay active. No, I, I love that. Uh, I was looking at some of the bikes that the uh, officers are using actually on Vancouver Island, and there's some high-tech stuff going on out there in the cycling world. <laughs> All right. Well, Doug, what about you? Something your colleagues might not know about you. I don't know if I have any really good examples that I want to disclose. I mean, I think I, think I, I laugh because I... You know, when Serge arrived at the college, he was sort of nursing his injuries from his mountain bike accident. So uh, I think he might not think people know about it, but it was certainly a common uh, source of conversation around <laughs> around the water cooler sort of thing. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think I tend to be a fairly open book. I think the folks who work with me, I, I mean, uh, um, you know, I'm from down east. I worked in Newfoundland for about 14 years. So, um, you know, and every so often my my sort of Cape Breton, Newfoundland accent sort of slides out sort of thing. So, I, no, I think like a lot of Maritimers, I think I tend to be an open book. But I'd say one thing that sort of um, there's been lots of jokes about during the last uh, few months is, uh, uh, you know, um, I keep joking about uh, and, I sh and I shouldn't endorse a product, I guess, on this uh, program. But, uh, you know, the how, how valuable my Apple pen has become. Right. So and this is what my employees thought I should mention sort of thing. Right. So, you know, uh, People thought I joke about my Apple Pen, but I said, yeah, okay. I said, but I can sign any document that comes to me using my Apple Pen. And, you know, and although the organization says, oh, digital signatures aren't necessarily acceptable in all cases, I always say that, well, you can't, the, the joy of the Apple Pen is they can't tell the difference between that and real signatures in a scanned document. So, so there's my uh, secret. So uh, hopefully the folks from corporate don't, uh, don't watch this uh, video and uh, send me any messages, right? So that they're going to reject all my, uh, all my forms. So I, I can tell you it's saved, it has saved, uh, you know, the time to print and scan documents and sign them and rescan them and all that sort of stuff. It saved me literally, uh, I would say hundreds of hours sort of thing. So, so we joke wow. about that fairly, fairly frequently on my call sort of thing. Right. So but, I've um, got to get myself one of those technology. Where would we be without it? Uh, especially this year, right? Oof. 
Well, you know, Serge, Serge sort of, I mean, he alluded to the, uh, to the EDP course, and you probably saw me smiling in the background because I'm on the current uh, executive development policing course, and he, he alluded also to the uh, strategic change proposal and how extensive they are. So I think I'm up to I'm up to about 150 pages in mine. So, so yeah. So wherever I can save some time from uh, some of the other areas, it gets uh, well used in the other side. And mine is focused around uh, uh, the modernization of the Technological Crime Learning Institute and how we're going to meet the challenges around uh, changing technology and policing. Right. So, uh, so not necessarily an easy uh, topic sort of thing. So no, there's I can imagine a lot uh, going on there and more pages to come. So so we'll stay tuned, I guess. Uh, the second question, guys, uh, and then I'm going to let you go, I promise, and not dig any deeper. But one thing you couldn't live without. Who wants to start with that? Well, maybe I'll uh, we'll tag team on this one. So I'll start uh, simply, and I think it might be uh, a reflection on uh, other colleagues as well, is, is certainly the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the value of uh, the relationship I've had with you know, my own partner and, and family in terms of their support right through these uh, extraordinary uh, times. But I would also extend that, and maybe that's a bit of the extrovert side of myself, is to, to the RCMP, to the RCMP, but more closely the CPC uh, colleagues, right? And I look forward to um, the, uh, the Skype or the Zoom or the Teams uh, call because we just can't... Uh, uh, physically, uh, you know, see each other uh, as we would uh, normally do. So I think, you know, uh, what people bring to you, we uh, we probably took for granted and, and sort of, you know, didn't invest in that as much pre-COVID, but certainly COVID has, has been a bit of a reflection on worthy uh, from, uh, I guess, a mental health perspective, those relationships uh, are to us. You know, I never thought I would miss a good handshake, right? It just elbowing people is not the same in an elevator it's strange very strange the things that you you end up missing Doug what about you one thing you couldn't live without well I mean I think that's also where my apple pen came up but I could probably live with without that but no I think I'll, I'll I mean I'll echo Serge I mean I think uh, you know the thing that uh, has really you know little the staff have really stepped up. We have a team of really strong managers. So, I mean, there's no way that we would have been able to get things to the point that they're at without a huge amount of dedication and commitment from a lot of employees. You know, folks who are, you know, it's about being committed to their communities of practice and to delivering their their respective areas. But it's, you know, collectively, um, you know, lots of long days for folks. Um, you know, and it's, it's a bit challenging because, you know, people are... are saying okay you're not delivering training you know what is it that you're so busy with so uh, you know but I can assure you that there's long long days trying to you know debate about different things and you know and and you know really lots of uh, good managers that are prepared to challenge things and, and in an environment where everyone needs to challenge things because there is no established norms or like the, the you know the sort of wisdom that we rely upon maybe doesn't necessarily exist anymore it's not no longer valid so so yeah no I would say it would be uh, certainly uh, um, I wouldn't be able to live without uh, having that team that I I mean I, I every Tuesday and Thursday morning at 10 o'clock uh, we have a Skype call with all my direct managers and those can run easily sometimes two to three hours as we work through things item by item. And, you know, but at the same time, I mean, we, you know, I think it's important and those who know who are around me know, like I take my work serious, 
but I don't take myself too serious all the time. So lots of jokes and carrying on and stuff like that. Right. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's serious work that we do, but, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's challenging times for folks. So, uh, uh, yeah, I would say it's definitely my team, I would say. You bet. Yeah, long live Skype and Microsoft Teams and Zoom and, and GoToWebinar and, and all those platforms uh, just to bring us together. I, I hear you. I don't know where I'd be without my, my fellow team keeping me sane during these times in this small office where I'm not sure if you can hear, but the lawnmower, you know, just starts up randomly. <laughs> you just can't control everything anymore. It's, a, it's the way it is. <laughs> well, Assistant Commissioner Gote, Superintendent Ross, thank you so much for sharing your updates and your thoughts with us. It was great to have uh, that inside scoop of what's going on at the CPC. Uh, keep up the excellent work and uh, we look forward to catching up again uh, after things uh, open back up. Yeah, thank you, Renee. We'll be looking definitely uh, forward to that. And uh, thank you for Blue Line uh, Magazine. Uh, enjoyed this uh, conversation as I did with my, as I said, previous Zoom and Skype and other calls. So thanks very much for your attention. Thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Blue Line, the podcast. Make sure to check us out on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us under Annex Business Media Podcasts for Work. Also, check out our podcast tab on blueline.ca. Thank you to everybody listening, especially those out on the front lines protecting our communities. Stay safe. Wilfrid Laurier University offers respected and affordable policing, criminology and policing, and public safety programs that are fully online and designed to advance your career. Choose from a Bachelor of Arts in Policing, Bachelor of Arts in Criminology and Policing, Master of Public Safety and five graduate diplomas in the areas of emergency management, national security, countering crime, border strategies, and GIS and data analytics. Transfer credits apply for basic constable training towards the BA in policing. For more information, visit www.laurierpublicsafety.ca. Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement.